You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am your host, Derek. I've got my buddy Ryan with me. Hello. Hello, hello. And this week we are talking the 2014 film Rage, starring, of course, Nicolas Cage, along with Peter Stormare and Danny Glover. Sort of. Yeah. They're in it. They're not, I wouldn't say that they star, but they're in it. They're the next big names. So... Ryan, you've been really good as we do this show, taking notes for the films that we watch. And I think that we should just stick with that format. It's working for me. Okay. Well, I'm just going to say right up front that tonight we're recording this on a Tuesday night. I watched it Saturday night and I'm looking at these notes and trying to remember what any of this means. So I feel like this movie may not be that memorable. <laughs> like, just in general, it's, it, I, I, it was a very generic movie. Um, it's definitely taking uh, inspiration from other things that have been done, other movies that were similar themes and more successful. Um, but I'm going to re- request that humbly that Derek, who just watched <laughs> it last night, tries to uh, guide us through whatever my notes mean. I'll do my best, man. But But I think you're right. I think this is definitely the most forgettable of the this is our seventh episode so of the seven films we've watched this is the most forgettable yeah probably the other episodes all had like at least some sort of standout moments that i could remember (laughs) but uh this one not as much well let's do it what do you got what's your first note uh my first note is weird opening just weird opening that's all it says yeah oh because he's picking his daughter up at the school no, I think like the, I think this means like an even earlier opening where like it's like a zoom in on his eye. Oh, right, 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 right. I actually had kind of forgotten about that. Yeah. Yeah, and, that was. And weird. it shows up later, like they're trying to be clever and tie it into the movie later. But it's just a really weird way to open the movie. They tried to do they tried to do some clever cinematography at times. And boy, do I think it didn't work. Yeah, they took some chances that didn't pay off. No, but it's clearly like they shot this in a more sophisticated way than, say, Inconceivable, which we talked about on episode four. But at least Inconceivable kept it simple. You know, this one tried too hard from a, from a cinematography standpoint. Yeah, I agree. Um, I had to look up what year John Wick came out, and I need to look up what year Taken came out, because I feel like... <laughs> Taken? Um, oh, man. There's... there's a lot of inspiration. Okay, so Taken was 2008. Yeah. And the original John Wick was 2014, which is the same year this came out. So they didn't they they didn't steal any ideas from John Wick because no. it came out same year, but they definitely took a lot of ideas from Taken. It wanted to be Taken so badly. Yeah, and I think that some of the things like weren't I don't even remember. But when I was watching it, I was like that this isn't that bad. Like they might have something here. I think some of some of the action scenes actually seemed like uh, John Wick uh, in the sense that they had similar ideas. They just had much poorer execution. So I feel like some some things, you know, they did right uh, or they had the right idea. They just, you know, 
there was no there was no great blueprint other than taken right and i i apologize we kind of glossed over what the movie is so for those who don't know if you didn't watch this ahead of time the movie uh, according to imdb when the daughter of a reformed criminal is kidnapped he rounds up his old crew and seeks his own brand of justice and nicholas cage plays paul mcguire who is this ex hitman type person so um that's that's the premise of the show so when we're saying taken his daughter is kidnapped uh fairly early on in the film on a night where he and his wife are out at dinner with some the governor or somebody <laughs> like yeah, the governor. she leaves them she le- they leave their daughter at home with these two teenage boys yes which was an interesting decision you know dad i i didn't really know where to take this nick cage character paul mcguire he kind of was all over he the wasn't place. that fleshed out yeah, yeah. Like, like they had a bunch of ideas for him and it didn't they didn't they didn't really seal anything in there's very little room for character development in this film which i mean it's a short movie it's only an hour and a half but because of that, there's hardly any character development. That's true. Yeah, it's just a thing happens, a thing happens, a thing happens. My second note is Milk Brothers, question mark. Dude, that one was weird, too. Yeah, that was so a that... super, super weird. Like, I've heard another term for that. That's probably, I think, these days and maybe forever considered more offensive. I don't really. Uh... It's definitely like, yeah, the, the term you're thinking of is certainly a more offensive term. Uh, so we're not going to say it here, but I had never heard the Milk Brothers one at all. It just made me go, ew. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was that was a this so much a very gross way of saying that two men have had sex with the same woman, mm-hmm, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Kane seemed excited about it. Yeah. Which was weird. He's a strange character. Yeah. Yeah. Just through the whole movie. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what they were going for with him. My next note says much younger wife, comma, again. Yeah, I mean, that's an industry problem across the board, right? Uh, That we see all the time. You know, Nick Cage is he was born in 1964. Uh, Rachel Nichols, who plays his his wife, she was born in 1980. So 16 years younger than she looks younger than that even though i mean she's a very young looking actress in my opinion well this was in her 20s this was eight years ago too you have to you know remembering that so she was only 34 yeah yeah in the role which is younger than both of us are now that's true um you know but yeah that's definitely an industry problem and it seems to be consistent with cage's films (laughs) it does yeah most of the time there's a specific type of filmmaker that uh that wants cage for their movies and they have a specific thought for the wife the wife too mm-hmm. uh my next note is very he's very heavy-handed about work like for the first 20 or 30 minutes of the episode he just like every time he talks to like the teenager he brings up that he's a working man and like you know there's just a lot of mention of work and doing the work and working men and things like that and it doesn't really pay off at any point well, I, I I, don't know that that is something I agree with. I think it really is. It's showing he trying everything he possibly can to distance himself from his past. Right. Because he he knows what he did. We don't know what he did yet. We He knows what he did and he doesn't want that anymore. And he's just trying really hard to just get past that. Yeah. That's what I took away. So my next note is guitar hero controller with no buttons oh I think man that, i didn't even I think, notice that i think in the house 
one of the teenagers is playing like Guitar Hero, and the other yeah. two are like canoodling on the couch. And uh, he's it looks it looked to me like he was playing just a guitar. That's uh, pretty with, funny with no buttons, but it was cl- like, and you could say, "Hey, Ryan, what about Rock Band or whatever that other one is?" But th- he was clearly playing Guitar Hero. So, I mean, I'm definitely no expert for those controllers. I only had it for Wii Guitar Hero Three, and it's one that those buttons were really obvious. But I know on they were really I, obvious on Xbox. Also, they, so okay. I had it for that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, I, that was just kind of fun. That. We're both we're both gamers, so yeah. I, I thought that was funny. I'm surprised you didn't catch that. No, I didn't. So uh, my next note is action scene camera work is bad, and <laughs> this is specific. <laughs> not all the action scenes were done this way, but there's like this one flashback action scene that they reference like ten times in the movie about the the main character and two of his buddies like stealing a car or stealing mm-hmm. something and killing a person it's really kind of even till like the end of the movie i still didn't really understand what had happened in that scene because it's kind of weird they burned something with a gun in it so they were stealing money from the russian mob okay right. and in the process they killed the guys who were involved in that and burned their bodies in the car Gotcha. And one of them was the brother of some other mobster of Chernov. So Chernov is the leader of the Russian mob in the quote present day of the film. And we find out towards the end of the movie when he's torturing Danny, that the guy they killed is his was, was his brother. Right. Um, fun fact. The guy who plays Chernov was just in Stranger Things. Was briefly he? in season four, he's in the Russian prison, Russian prison. Excuse me. He's one of the guys that, you know, they eat together and everything. Ah, yeah. Okay. I don't want to spoil anything for Stranger Things, but he's there. So it's just funny because uh, I've, I've seen him in a few different things, but it's been a long time. And then I see him like twice in the same week. It was just kind of funny. My next note is he's being a huge dick to this kid. I don't remember what kid this was at this point. Oh, so I'm assuming this was after the kidnapping happens. So when they're oh, at yeah, the, yeah, 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 that's yeah, what it was. because he does talk to the kid um, and I'm drawing a blank on the kid's name, Mike, I think um, one of the kids that was there when the daughter got kidnapped, and got the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. So, so there's a guy who apparently likes his daughter, uh, Caitlin, right. Is the daughter's name. This is the same guy and, that off- he offered a job to earlier yes. because he's a working man. He's a working man and he knows that he's into his daughter and all that. So they have that conversation before the dinner. They come back from the dinner. The boys are, they got the crap beat out of them, right? There's broken glass. The daughter's gone and he goes and talks to Mike and is trying to get information, you know, like, and like th- this is where the movie to me got really uncomfortable because not only is he kind of being, overly aggressive with a supposedly innocent teenager, but it gets real racist really quick. The uh, whole movie, the whole, I, I, I have a couple of other notes on here that deal with that, but so this is we'll where like it, it really starts and he's making like really like offensive comments about what the people may have looked like or smelled like. And it just made me extremely uncomfortable really fast. And the kid has no information for him. And, um, mcguire even tells the kid that like he should have been willing to to, to be shot try, and die trying yeah. to save his daughter uh, because and, men men protect women 
or right. like you know yeah it's very like toxic masculinity yeah that gets rolled in there too like this conversation changed for me the whole tone of the film and this was like this was 2014 this wasn't yes. like a 1993 movie like this no. is 2014 so it's not that old it's less than 10 years old no this this is what i would still consider to be a modern film right yeah agreed so my next note actually deals with the, the first well the first after your previous point of like major kind of racist undertones there this this scene is very uncomfortable when the his two friends go into this place and there's a young black man and a woman and they just start like they talk about how like this kid is a rat and you know everything else and they like are just bullying the shit out of this guy and like threatening to kill his girlfriend and everything, and it's two middle-aged white guys mm-hmm. bullying the shit out of this black kid, and it was super uncomfortable. I mean, granted, in 2014, some of the things that have happened modern day or in the past few years uh, have made something like this even more uncomfortable. But I, this wasn't a comfortable thing even in 2014. I can imagine. No, I'm with you there. And so, it's just for some context, so. McGuire's character's got two best friends, Kane and Danny. And the three of them um, used to, you know, work together when they were in crime. And uh, they were the three who did this, this, um, uh, who killed Chernov's brother back in the day and all this other stuff. And so they think, you know, obviously it's like the Russians or somebody else is coming after McGuire. And that's why they kidnapped his daughter. And so Danny and Kane just go out basically as enforcers to try and, you know, um, find out what's going on, who, who took Caitlin. And this, the guy is like supposedly a rat who would give information. Um, kid doesn't have any information. And at the same time, like they, they almost kill this woman. Right. He, he ties her to up try and get him to, to break, to try and get him to yeah. break. He ties her to a rope and a cinder block and he chucks the cinder block out the window and she gets thrown back into the wall, you know, right below the window. And, um, yeah, he ends up shooting the rope. So the cinder block falls and she doesn't choke to death, but then he makes some joking comment. That was Kane. Kane makes a joking comment then to Danny about how like he's surprised he even hit the rope and his plan was just for the cinder block to throw her out the window. Like he was totally cool murdering this woman who he knows nothing about, who for all we know has never, you know, really done anything other than obviously she's done some drugs, but other than that, we don't know that she's ever done anything else wrong. And Kane's like joking about how, oops, I accidentally didn't kill her. You know, like it was just bad. Like the movie, just those two scenes really took the movie in a very different direction for me. Well, and then the next scene too, because uh, if you've seen taken, you know, the whole goal is to get the daughter back through the whole movie. But in this movie, she's straight up fucking dead. Like 30 minutes into the movie pretty early. Yeah. And it's out of nowhere. It's out of nowhere. They find her like in a creek or, you know, something like that. And uh, some runner finds her, uh, which is a second time some random running person has found a dead body in a Nick Cage movie we've talked about. So far. And then, you know, McGuire sees her in the morgue, you know, they they have that that whole thing, which felt more awkward to me than sad. Yeah. You know, and 
I don't know, maybe I missed it. We find out later in the movie that she was shot by this Russian gun, right? But I feel like that's not explained until much later. So I, I didn't know for a while how well, she they, died. They didn't get ballistics off the gun, so they didn't, yeah. you know what I mean? I guess they could have said she was shot, but the important reveal was that the ballistics of the gun related to this Russian firearm. Mm-hmm. So then Peter Stormare's character shows up, uh, and he's in a wheelchair. And at this point, I, I made my, I threw my bet in. As soon as he showed up, he didn't even need to say a word that he's the guy that was behind the whole thing. I that, wouldn't have been I, surprised. I instantly suspicious was my note because that would have made for a better movie. When, when we get to the end, we can talk about the way I thought that was going to work out. Yeah. Because it ended with a much worse, much, much worse. Horrible ending. Like, really, yeah. the, possibly the worst ending they could have done. Um, but, yeah, it that, that instantly, as soon as I saw him talking, and as soon as they started talking, I was like, okay, yeah, he's definitely behind all of this. Yeah, and, it's, it's yeah. at the funeral Yeah, uh, where they meet. And there's some really good, there are some good tension moments in these scenes between Maguire and Francis O'Connell, Peter, Peter Sturmeyer's character you know, where, you know, they're, they're having this back and forth and, and he's uh, O'Connell's trying to explain like to leave it alone. Don't let this destroy you kind of thing. And it's, it's delivered really well. I mean, I really like Peter Stormare. So like, I think, I think he did as good as he could do in this movie. So let me ask you this, because my next note has to do with his particular choices in this movie, or maybe choices that were made for him. What nationality is Peter Stormare? Like, where's he from? Yeah, that was unclear to me. No, 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 not his character, him. Oh, 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 where is he from? Um, I actually, I don't know. Let me, let me check real quick. I really Somewhere not in America. He's from Sweden. He's from Sweden. They made him do this god-awful American accent because they wanted to differentiate, like, that he's not Russian. And American listeners aren't great at discerning accents a lot of the time. I'm guessing this is why they did this. Well, and he's played a Russian before, like for example, oh, Armageddon. several times. Yeah. yeah. Several times. So I, and I, and I was expecting him to be Russian in this movie, but then yeah, I started hearing him talk and he just has a really bad American accent in this movie. It's just not believable at all. And sometimes like his natural accents like slips in there and just real bad was it that way for you too i didn't realize it was trying to be an american accent that's right, why you when you asked the question it. was that yeah you couldn't pinpoint it because it yeah. was so bad i mean i i think it was trying to be american i guess i don't really have any proof of that <laughs> but because yeah. like it's not good well because it's but... weird because you've got like there's two factions one of them is defined the entire time as the russians Right. Easy time. to distinguish because we all know what a Russian accent sounds like. And but they're they're always referred to as the Russians the right. entire time, right? Versus this other group, they're just the guys they used to work for. So we don't really... Yeah, we don't know where they're from. But <laughs> I mean, I feel like they were trying to do an American accent because all the guys that Nick Cage and Nick Cage works with are all they're just all very American, American yeah. accents. Yeah. That's I mean, that's fair. I I didn't even really put too much thought into it. WTF accent is that is, is yeah. what the note says. I mean, that's that part's certainly fair. Uh, my next note is car blowing up. Most expensive scene in the movie, <laughs> which I think at this, 
I don't even remember what kind of car it was, but I will say this is a 2014 movie. All right. And we're both kind of car guys. Like we really like cars. Did you notice that like every single car they had in the movie was like, other than the Mustang that he drove was like a super cheap, like 1994 Dodge Caravan or something. It was, it was like all the, the police cars were like all from the nineties because all they could afford was like really, really low end cars. Well, there's some inconsistencies for sure. So the, the car you're talking about was from the flashback from the crime that they committed when they were teenagers. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. Yeah. So it was like it was like a Lincoln, I think, that they blow up. You know, it was like one of those like um, beigeish, dull yellow Lincolns, yeah. right? Um, that, that that's the one that they blow up. Now the two mob bosses, Chernov and Francis, they have like Escalades or something like that. You know, those it's big. Well, it was like the big oversized SUVs that you know. Were right. cool in like well, it might have been an Escalade, actually. It may actually. not have been literally an Escalade, but that was the vibe that they yeah. were going for, right? Could have been a Lincoln. I don't know. But all but the cars that were like around them, on everything the else, and everything was all super cheap cars. Yeah. Any car that like was in any danger of being hit by something it was, was a cheap car. Yeah, it was just Except, so yeah. funny to me because it's not Mustang. that obvious. The Mustang, yeah. of course, and it what, did get beat up throughout did, the movie. It did inconsistently, I might add. Uh, it would go from pretty beat up to less beat up, depending. And my significant other noticed, and maybe I I didn't pick up on it, so I maybe she was confused or something. But uh, the interior of the Mustang changed uh, according to her. She said that in the early scenes it was like a cream color. The oh. interior was, and then later in the movie, she said that's not the same car. And I said, yeah, that's the same car. It's the same Mustang. And she said, no, the interior was a different color. So I don't know. I'd well, have to go rewatch changes, it. He did change cars. Because in the beginning of the movie, he's driving. Well, there's a mistake. The car that he picks his daughter up in is not the car they show them driving in in the next shot. It changes to an infinity from something else like a Cadillac or something like that. Mm. And so there's already a problem there. But then he switches to the Mustang later after the cops are involved. Maybe that's where the confusion was. And he decides to go off on his own. So there might have been a situation where she was remembering the The other car. Possibly. Potentially, yeah, but it's just a weird inconsistencies. It it was. Um, I feel like for the Mustang, they were trying to go with a Gone in 60 Seconds vibe. It didn't work, but I feel like that's what they were trying to do. Yeah, I mean, you can't just put Nick Cage in a Mustang and be like, oh, Gone in 60 Seconds, guys. Well, it was also like a, a grayish you know mustang with the black stripes but the know? one in the one in god in 60 seconds isn't just a mustang no, it's, it's a very specific it very is. rare very expensive mustang so but you know it's they almost couldn't insulting it, so. yeah it's almost insulting <laughs> that they would and maybe they didn't do it for that i don't know but i definitely got a similar vibe my next note it leads into the racist stuff again um, but this is actually a line from danny glover he brings up that a white criminal can go straight but a black cop can't refinance his house. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I felt like that was the movie's like lone attempt to try and say something real for five seconds, but it's so lost in the rest of this mediocre mob flick that I'm surprised it caught your attention, frankly. Oh yeah. Cause it's such a fleeting line and Danny Glover's character. We haven't talked about him yet makes such little sense in this movie. So he plays a detective and he's not good. He's the worst detective I can no, remember. Not, not just bad detective, but Danny Glover is not good in this. I like, mean, I think he knew the role, 
right? I, th- I think he knew that this didn't make any sense. Like he wasn't like, he wasn't a bad detective in the sense that like he was a dirty cop. He was bad at his job. Yeah. Right. He knows what McGuire used to do and he keeps giving him chances to do crime again. So much so that in the big car chase scene where they, where he supposedly wrecks the Mustang and then can drive away in it, which by the way, is one of the worst shot chase scenes I've it's ever really watched. Bad, yeah. He he's being arrested by like a dozen cops and uh, the detective Danny Glover is like, nah, let him go. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a, Yeah. He's not great as an actor in this movie. I think this may be the newest movie that I've seen him in. He doesn't do a lot of acting these days. And I think I think I'm starting to see why. Like he didn't really do anything except kind of slowly walk around. I mean, he's done a lot since 2014. Has he? Well, maybe it's just not stuff I've seen. It's not stuff you and I would normally watch. I'm not seeing anything that jumps out that's like, oh yeah, that. But he's been in a lot of projects. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I mean, in this movie, his he he basically was just like uh, I don't know. There's a there's a term that we used a lot on the last podcast where you're giving a lot of information about the movie in yeah. the sense of the movie. What's the term? Well, it's exposition. Exposition. Yeah. yeah, he was basically just a lot of exposition about the other characters, and he would just like wander around like very slowly and give exposition and that was his entire character well he was also there he he did play one very important role he answered the question how are cops not stopping mcguire yeah i guess but with all the other (laughs) things they don't cover in the movie i feel like they can get away with not having to cover that especially not with danny glover he gets caught like three times and nobody cares right well that's not fair most of the cops care Danny Glover doesn't care. And he must be super freaking important, like the chief of police, because he's not. He's just a detective. Well, I mean, he's got more power than the chief of police then because he's just letting this like career criminal go. And I did think they were going to go somewhere because like when they find the ballistics, Danny Glover's character tells him to keep it quiet, like don't tell anybody about it. And then immediately McGuire finds out. So in my head, I'm like, okay, we're going to find out about like some type of leak right some type of rat who's in the the, the police or whatever and that's going to tie into the story somehow no that goes nowhere. well they did mention that one of his friends has a connection in the police department yeah but like we never learn who that is or their relationship to the detective it just kind of fades away yeah because it's not that important to the story in the greater scheme of things no it's, it's not i just thought it might become important and it did my, my next note is choreography is bad uh, yeah. I, I, you know, le- thinking back on this, I didn't actually think about it when I was watching the movie, but now that we're talking about it and thinking about it, it's very, very difficult for me to believe that J- that John Wick, the first John Wick, came out the same year, because there, that's a masterclass in action filmmaking, uh, and this movie is like a high school, uh, like intro to videography class, essentially, like the movies are so far apart. It's a fair comparison for a lot of reasons too, because they're even the same class of film from a budget perspective. Um, John wick got 20 million. This movie got 15. So it's not like we're comparing, you know, apples to oranges here. I think it's a really good point. And it shows that 
having like awards for stunt people and choreography people and things like that is important because it can make or break the movie. Yeah, it's the difference between having people that really know what they're doing in a movie and people that don't seem to really know what they're doing. And maybe this was just a bad movie for a lot of the people that were involved. I mean, producers and director and all that stuff. Uh, Or maybe they just, I don't know. But I would not go see a movie knowingly based off this director again, having seen this. And my next note has to do with uh, John Wick also, because they go into like this club and again, in the first John Wick movie in 2014, the same year this came out, there's a very, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to say famous, but like one of the iconic scenes of the movie is him like going through this club, mm-hmm. trying to get after this person that he's chasing. And he's just, you know, destroying people with wonderful choreography, fun gunplay, stuff like that. Uh, this this movie has a, has a club scene. And it even has like the pink and purple lights, like the John Wick one. But it's like so much worse. And, you know, it doesn't really amount to anything. It doesn't. But it's followed by an even more ridiculous scene, which is the the Russian dude runs away, gets shot in the through like the lower back and stomach by Kane. And then he and Maguire have a foot chase that seemingly goes on forever. My next note is dude's literally dying and Nick still can't catch him. Not even close. He's losing ground on this dude who bleeds out two minutes later, which either says a lot for this poor Russian dude. I mean, he must've been like an Olympic athlete at some point in his life, or it says something even worse about McGuire, but it was just, it went on forever. Yeah. And then when he finally catches him, the guy's basically dead dead and he, he he's like he yells at the guy don't die like a hundred times and then immediately starts smashing his head into the ground over and over and over so, and my note says don't die but here's blunt head trauma yep yep uh yeah this so, is bad man yeah <laughs> i mean yeah uh my next note is why is danny glover so bad in this he he is the worst detective i've ever seen in a film like he could have just played murtaugh and it would no, because he would have been better at his job. That's true. But right? he did seem like in this movie that he was getting too old for this shit. He absolutely did. But he just was so incompetent. He was actively helping Maguire do commit felonies throughout the course of this film. And he's just like, just don't do it again, man. Okay. Yeah. Then immediately goes and does something else. Like it just, it was awful. It was, it was complete. It was so unbelievable that that would happen. Yeah, it was weird. Like, it, cause that's what I'm saying. Like he's not a dirty cop. It's not like McGuire's paying him off or something like that. Cause at least then there's a logical reason for the guy to act that way. Right. Well, right. I'm going to let him off the hook. Cause he just gave me 40 G's. Right. I, I get it. You're, you're a bad person, but at least you're not like a moron. Right. Like he's just so bad at his job. I it was he's very unbelievable. My next note is slow motion gun scene. Which I don't remember specifically what that was. But then the note after that is more slow-mo guns. Was that when they go into the crack house? Probably, yeah. I mean, it was there was just a lot of like at one point just guns shooting in slow motion. And yeah, that was the crack house. It was very weird. Like out of nowhere, just a ton of slow motion. No other slow motion in this movie except for like this one scene and then one at the very end. It felt to me like they were trying to do bad boys. 
yeah in, in the crack house especially Definitely because inspiration there's a moment later in that same kind of sequence where he's mcguire's upstairs and there's a wall between him and two other guys and then and in bad boys you know there's two of them right there's martin lawrence and there's will smith and so they each take one side but in this case it's just nick cage so he's got to do it all by himself and it's basically the same scene it's just him by himself done really poorly by comparison right and yeah so like they were really just trying to recapture bad boys bad boys too and it just wasn't working yeah and probably this next one ties into that too infinite ammo hack on shotgun (laughs) because i don't even remember which character it was but there was this one shotgun was it mcguire yeah this shotgun just has it seemingly had 15 shots in it and never got reloaded i mean he had to cock it (laughs) he did because people in this movie did not seem to understand how shotguns work or why you would cock it like well before you got into a gunfight instead of at the beginning of it. But yeah, it was just a lot of shots. And this is another thing that a lot of people love about John wick, which again came out same year as this movie is that they make it a point. The the reloading is the part is a part of the action sequence, right? Mm -hmm. Because Sometimes he's out of bullets and he has to react to what it's like to being out of bullets and and then get the gun reloaded or take somebody else's gun. And that is a huge part of why the action worked in those movies. And so when you have a yeah. movie like this where the ammo is just infinite and they very rarely they they did show a few reloads in this, but it wasn't like tactical reloads. It was like they just are hanging out behind a brick wall and have 10 minutes to reload their gun. You know, it's, it it wasn't used. I don't know. Again, this comes back to how much of a masterclass John Wick yes. was versus this a movie like this. And maybe it's just unfortunate timing for Rage that it happened to release in the same year as like one of, if not the greatest, like gunplay franchise. Straight out action movies you know? of yeah. the last decade. It's yeah. fe- it's phenomenal, right? But like the gunplay specifically, like people go because those scenes are done so well that they're enjoyable on their own. Right. Right. Absent of of the plot. And then that just gets added on top of it. Versus in this, the action sequences are actually a detriment to an already bad plot. Right. They just make it worse. Right. Usually you look forward to the next cool action sequence. But in this movie, you're not sure if you're going to have a seizure when you're watching the next bad action sequence because of the (laughs) shaky cam. Mm -hmm. And usually shaky cam, like they don't go over the top with it. They like it's natural amount of shakes when somebody is running and holding a camera, you know. But in this movie, it's like they had somebody that couldn't control their hands shaking like they were hypoglycemic or something and their hands were just shaking so bad that you weren't sure what was going on because there was so much shaking happening well a lot was bad editing too like in that car chase scene the edits there's so many cuts to different camera angles so fast so often that like i was like it was hard to watch the scene I wanted it to be over. You know, because on our last podcast, I talked about action scenes a lot that like heavy cuts, lots of cutting in any kind of action scene, but especially choreography is something that really, really Mm -hmm. bothers me. Uh, And maybe it's maybe you guys now that bothers you a lot, too. Uh, But but the car chase, car chases, you can't have a lot of cuts like that anyway, because it starts to be disorienting. And that's what happened here. Yeah, it it was literally like making me feel like I was getting a headache watching the car chase scene. They're like, come on, car chase scenes have been in movies forever, you know, and if Fast and the Furious can make an entire franchise based off of car chase scenes, you can give me one car chase scene 
in your movie if you're going to put it in there. That doesn't give me a headache. Yeah, it was not great. <laughs> you know, the ne- my next note I think was a line from Danny Glover, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong on that. Where he says it's a rap sheet as long as this dick. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, we don't know how long his dick is, so that doesn't really land, right? Like we either assume that he has a really huge penis, and that this rap sheet is really long, or like. It's just not that big, and the rap sheet is like an average length. So it was Danny Glover's character who said it, and maybe, you know, this movie is fairly racist. Maybe they were leaning into the stereotype. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, maybe, but it's I don't just... know. It was, But I remember that line for sure. Yes, because it like, stood what? out so much. You had to think that maybe Danny Glover was like in his trailer practicing this one line because it was like the only line that was any fun for his character in the entire movie. <laughs> but you also would have thought that he would go, man, you know, this line... It's not great. It's just really not a good line. But yes, it stood out. Probably not for the right reasons. I mean, I guess I don't know what a rap sheet looks like. So, you know, maybe even if you've got, even if your average size, that's still a lot of pages of paper, right? Is it like a CVS receipt? Or like, are they talking about like the depth, like a stack? Or are they talking about sheets like back to back? Oh, see, I I was thinking like thickness of like a pack of paper. See, I was thinking about like those old like, printers yeah. with like the, the holes where it just keeps printing out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know the dot matrix dot yeah. matrix printer yeah so yeah. Uh, which would That's... make it not really that big of a rap sheet probably no case. you're right see we, we've got two very different pictures but see that that's means. again why this doesn't work that well <laughs> you know the normal person is not really dealing with rap sheet but i imagine a police station probably doesn't have like the most modern printers so it's still 2014 though that's like true. i don't i don't know it, it's a it's bad that's the moral of the story yeah all right, next I have Russian guy not hurt by punches stereotype. Like uh, they yes. always have in these movies, the, guy, the Russian guy that's getting like punched a bunch of times and it doesn't seem to be doing any damage to him. And I mean, you, everybody that's seen movies has seen this at some point, you know, that there, it's just it does either. I mean, at least they didn't lean into like that. He's the drunk on vodka and now he can take all these punches because mm-hmm. a lot of movies do that. But this is just like the general... Russian guy doesn't get hurt by punches or like gunshots you, or anything. Are you talking about the dude who fights? It's the with, guy in the bar. Yeah. After Danny's arm gets broken. Yeah. Yeah. That whole scene, like again, right? Like Danny's got his arm broken and he's fighting this dude with one arm. And the dude's really just fucking with him because the he, dude is know. just not even, doesn't even have to block because he's Russian and he doesn't feel pain and you can just punch him as much as and it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like he doesn't even get staggered. No. Now that whole scene didn't really make a whole lot of sense either because like when all these people start showing up, like why did he even fire the shot? Right. Why didn't he just wait there? You know, you, like maybe they wouldn't have found you. Maybe there's like, did you, is there a back door? Like he was just like drawing their attention on purpose. You know, and I know the whole idea is he has to get captured and they have to kind of make it look like Kane's the Kane and ratted him out or something like that and go take us off on this whole tangent. My thought was that maybe he thought there would be a standoff and he would give him more time for Nick Cage's character to get there rather than them moving in immediately. But I don't know. Maybe he just had a shotgun like he's by himself. There's like six guys with machine guns. No, they they don't know that. that, But like they they know it's only three guys. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I don't know. It's that was the best justification I had for it. And my next note is Mustang is as fast as a motorcycle. Because like there's this scene where Nick Cage is driving this Mustang and there's this motorcycle. So that's the car chase I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. I guess we were a little out of order on on some of it. No, it's but... just that that car chase is just in my head as just a re- like the worst part of the movie for me to watch. It always bothers me though when like a car, like a motorcycle, can't get away from a car because one, motorcycles are much more maneuverable than cars. Flat out, there's no debating that. I don't even care if it's a Harley; it's probably going to be more maneuverable than ninety percent of the cars on the road. But also, in general, most motorcycles are significantly faster than cars. So I agree with you. However, I don't think the motorcyclist was trying. Like uh, he wasn't chasing the motorcyclist; he was no, chasing like, the SUV. Th- so they're uh... wait, wait. So the motorcycle was chasing. Like that's another part. Is this wasn't even clear? No, it, it's not clear. I have no idea what the motorcyclist was doing. Right. But Nick Cage was chasing the SUV. Right. And then there's this random motorcycle that's with them the whole time. They were with. So the motorcyclist was with the SUV, but I don't know what their goal was during the car chase. They weren't shooting at him or anything. They weren't shooting. I kept waiting for that because they kept cutting back and forth between Cage and the motorcycle. They're next to each other. Cage and the motorcycle. Cage and the motorcycle. I'm like, okay, are are they going to like try and grab him or, you know, pull out a gun? I'm like, I'm waiting for something to happen. It never happens. Right. So it doesn't make any sense, but that's not who he's after. So they're not like trying to evade him. I think they're trying to distract him or make Weird. it harder for him to keep up. Was the original John Wick the one that had the motorcycle chase scene too? Or was that John Wick too? That might've been John Wick too. I need to I rewatch remember. them. Yeah. They're so good. I need to rewatch them too. This movie just makes me appreciate them that much more. <laughs> but in one of the John Wick movies, they had a motorcycle and uh, well, he was on a motorcycle too. So I guess it's not the same. It was just a motorcycle on motorcycle chase scene, okay. but yeah. Uh, <laughs> my next note ref- reference is one that I made earlier where I said the car explosion was the most expensive shot in the movie. There's a second car explosion, except that this one is a like 1987 crown Vic cop car. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah, he just that was the other thing. He 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 kills at least one cop in that car chase. Yeah, for sure. But Murtaugh's like, <laughs> yeah, let him go. Let him go. <laughs> so my next note is basically the end of the movie. So we can kind of get into that. My next note says it was the kid and an accident wasn't our worst choice for ending. So at the end of the movie. We find out. Well, that... so I don't want to skip over too much, though, because keep in mind, we have to remember. So Danny gets ki- gets kidnapped by the Russians. He gets tortured. Chernov beats the shit out of him and kills him. OK. McGuire thinking Kane ratted them out, kills Kane. Yeah, we kind of missed something. And that's that the ballistics of the gun came back to a Russian sidearm that only russians can use apparently in this universe it's yeah the 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 name the name of the gun was apparently the tokarev which is what the movie was originally going to be called and so yeah so because of the ballistics report it has to be the russians it can't possibly be anybody so, yeah, else this whole time the 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 nick cage and his two side characters are killing the russians and going after the russians and like that's and so the like the the crux is that they believe so the three of them, McGuire, Kane and Danny, they committed this crime when they were 17 and they were they swore themselves to secrecy. And so this whole time they're like, well, how could someone have found out? How do they find out? How could they know? And so we're supposed to we're led to believe Kane ratted them out. He did some time in jail, but it wasn't like a ton of time. So how did he get off? He gave some information. Right. And that's what we're led to believe. McGuire f- kind of flips out and slices the dude's belly open, kills him. Yeah, there's there's a lot of like red herrings about how like 
uh, he's killing all these people. And I think it was kind of meant to relate to the Julius Caesar quote that it was from the, or like Julius Caesar's life in general from when, uh, because his daughter in the beginning of the movie, they made a big point about how he was she was writing a paper about Julius Caesar and like the die has been cast. Yeah. And so I think they were trying to follow that theme, but I not not great. But yeah, yeah, they added a bunch of like red herrings as to like, well, this is how they found out about it is in, in Nick Cage's head. He justified that his buddy had to have ratted on him or mm-hmm. had to have spent this money that they got and that gave him away and all this other crap. And said Kane's really just kind of a putz. An idiot that likes to have sex with strippers and yeah. like treat women poorly. He likes his drugs. He's done some crimes. He's kind of a moron, you know, but he didn't do this. Yeah. So he gets killed. McGuire kills his best friend, his oldest, one of his oldest friends. Danny gets killed by the Russians for no reason, since the Russians had nothing to do with it, it turns out. And then we get to the end. Well, yeah. And at some point, uh, Peter Stormare's character is killed by the Russians. <laughs> And that well, right, point, so theory kind of went out the window. Yes. Yeah, so after Danny explains to Chernov why they went after his people, Chernov has like no fucking clue what he's talking about because they didn't do it. And so the two leaders of the mobs, right, O'Connell and Chernov, meet each other in an alley somewhere with their SUVs or whatever. And yeah, every, all all of Francis's people get killed, including himself. Right. The Chernov so, basically like gets to expand his operation, I guess. Right. So the so in the end, we find out that uh, they were playing with their dad's gun, or well, the girls. The girl when she was with the two boys, they get really drunk, and they decide to do something dangerous, and so they go to their dad's room or her dad's room, where he has this gun. I think that was part of that Russian. Uh, yeah, it came from well, the Russians that they robbed back when they were 19 or whatever. That's that's the big problem here. So, th- so there's a couple of things. First, the boys know that her dad was involved in something. Right. Which because they're like, con- oh, he scares us or whatever. They they think he's been doing some stuff, right? And that you know he used to be you know in like a mob or whatever. Somehow they know this, and so she takes him into the closet where he's got a box of guns, you know. Like a criminal like who, yeah. who wants to go clean would do would be to keep guns linked directly to crime. All loaded. Look, he spends the whole movie explaining about how he's gone. You know, he's gone straight. He's and a working he's clean, man. He's a working man. It's by the detectives on his side. What moron would keep those guns? I don't have an answer for you. And not just keep them. Keep them just in a box. Not a safe. There's no key. There's no combination. They're just in a box. Wrapped anybody up in to find. A t- like a piece of uh, like linen. Uh, so yes. Yeah, so the kids go out and they're like playing with the guns and pretending to be badasses. And one of them shoots the girl, his daughter, and kills her. And so they drag the body like out to the creek. <clears throat> because that's how people deal with dead bodies. There are so many problems with just the logistics of that. So what happens is, is after everything goes down, McGuire, like it clicks in his head that, Oh wait, I know that gun. I know that gun. Cause I have that gun. And he realizes what happened somehow pieces it all together and gets the kid to show up somewhere and threatens to shoot him. And the kid explains the whole thing. So, okay. So they get the guns and they go outside. It's pouring rain. They're fucking around with guns in the pouring rain. And this kid shoots her right in the head. 
in the pouring rain. They drag her body to the creek. Fine. They get back into the house. They beat the shit out of each other. They break some windows and glass and stuff like that, right? How are they not still soaking wet? I don't know. What, did the home invaders drag you outside and then bring you back in? That Like, what happened there? So there's already a problem with that, number one, right? Number two, they were scared. They just left this woman in the woods, basically, her dead body, and then lied about it to to a guy they already thought was probably in the mob. Yeah. So the whole thing was pretty stupid. It's basically, like I said earlier, this is basically the worst possible way they could have picked to end this movie, other than maybe like if the wife had paid for a hit on the daughter or something because she secretly didn't like her. That might have been worse. Actually, that would probably have been better than this ending. So I actually had that thought pretty late in the movie. Like once we realize what the gun is and the fact that he used that, 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 that gun came from the crime when he was 17, I was like, oh shit, it's the wife. Right. And then I was like, oh, she must be connected to somebody. My significant other said that as well. When she was watching the movie with me, she said that uh, it's the wife. That was her guess right out of the gate. And she stuck with it through the movie. And thank God it was wrong. I mean, not 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 thank God, though, because it would have been a better ending than what we got. But let me tell you what would have been the best. ending, (laughs) because this is how I pictured it going down. Okay, Peter Stormare's character goes and has that exact same talk with Nick Cage. Except that he he was the one that had one of his guys go out with this Russian gun to kill his daughter. So then he goes and Nick Cage goes and kills all these Russian mobsters. So now Peter Stormare's character has way more easy and of an easy time taking over more of the like crime empire in whatever city this is. Um, That like having that whole be conspiracy or not conspiracy, but that whole setup being the plan would have made way more sense. And been been better, but yeah, that I wasn't far off from that. I thought that Stormare's character did it, but to bring Maguire back in to the game, that could have definitely been part of it too. You know, because he's retired, right? And you can't really let somebody walk away. You know, and they in that whole conversation. And so my thought was, okay, he's trying to bring him back in. How do you do that? Well, you push the guy into, you know, right. returning to the life. Um, all of that, both of those would have been better. The wife at least would have been better than what we got. Yeah, that was literally the worst possible thing that they could have picked. And then I tried to justify it with where I think maybe they were what they were trying to do. Uh, I put so ultimately it's Nick Cage's fault for keeping loaded guns in the house. Is this a bad like a bad social commentary on? If that's what they were trying to do, it's the worst like attempt I've ever seen. Yeah. And then my second to the last note says horrible ending i mean the moral i got from the story if you accept the ending as it is and i want to talk i do want to talk for a minute about why i hate that ending as much as i do but if he had heeded everybody if he had heeded the detective if he had heeded francis and just sat by and let the cops do their job then you know what kane is still alive danny is still alive francis is still alive and mcguire is still alive but by the end of the movie all of those people are dead and it ends up really for no good reason because the whole thing was an accident now why do i hate the ending so much it is not clever storytelling to lie to the audience 
and then go, ah, fooled you at the end of the movie. That's not clever. You just lied. And it's not like a character lied. Characters can lie because characters are supposed to be people. But when you show footage that didn't take place, that to me is one of the worst writing techniques that exist. It's not clever. You're not tricking anybody. You showed me a thing and it turned out that that was just a piece of false scenery. Right. It's not interesting. How do I piece? Because like part of watching a movie like this is I want to help piece together what happened. Right. Oh, it's that guy. Well, I wonder if that guy is connected to this thing. Right. I'm trying to help figure it out as I go along with McGuire. And when you show me bullshit. Then you're just wasting my time. Yeah, it's not like a clever twist or anything like that. It's just bad. Right. It's like, um, I think it's Saw 4 and 5 take place at the exact same time. That's the big twist at the end of 5 is that 5 and 4 are happening at the same time. Like, that's not a twist. You just lied about when the movies took place. Right. You're just leaving out pertinent information. Yeah. Like, that's not, you're not tricking anybody. You're just writing it. You're telling a story poorly on purpose. Right. So you can frame it as a twist later. Right. And that just bothers me. So my last note and the way this movie ends, well, technically the movie ends with uh, a bunch of mobsters coming into the house and seemingly killing Nick Cage. And it shows the same uh, eyeball shot that it had from the very beginning of the movie. They kind of tie it all together with a really bad bow. Yep. And then there's like this slow-mo crime scene. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) like with cops slowly moving around the house during the end credits during the end credits that you think is going to lead to something and it doesn't it doesn't so they're transporting a body out but they don't ever show that it's Nick Cage you know it's I think at least for me having seen a lot of movies I was like well you know maybe he fought all these guys off and like Frank faked his own death so that he could uh, officially be out of the game and have a fresh start but then I thought maybe they were leading to that, but no, they didn't. They just had a body bag coming out in slow motion and uh, that's the end of the movie. I mean, I guess it's vague enough that if this had been a big hit that they could do a sequel. I guess. But this $15 million movie made 2.4 million at the box office. So I don't think we're going to see rage Two raging more. And yeah. Raging boner. Yeah. They, uh, <laughs> They probably probably half the people I went and saw this movie had to get refunds because they were so disappointed in how bad it was. So that's it. That's wow, the movie. Let's man. put it on our scale. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we have our cage, our cage scale. And in our cage scale, we are ranking movies on two different scales. It's quality from zero to 20 and it's caginess from zero to 20. So Ryan, from a quality standpoint, Zero being the worst movie imaginable, 20 being the greatest thing of all time. Where would you put Rage? Probably like a four. Yeah, I was actually going to go lower. Uh, yeah, so I was thinking three or four, but then yeah. I'm like, I've seen much worse movies, but it was still pretty bad. I'm going with a three. Okay. I'm going with a three. So that gives us a 3.5 on the quality scale. Now, what about the caginess? There was basically no caginess in this movie. So, yeah, it's going to be. I mean, I I don't. Did you do you recall any points like going oh, That's a little cagey. No, 
I don't. Maybe a little bit when he's on the roof and he's like, "Don't die, don't die," and like and he's that like smacking the dude's head. Yeah, that that would be about the only part that might be. I'm gonna put it like a two. Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna give yeah. it actually. Yeah, so we're gonna put it a two on the cage scale. So a three and a half quality, two on the cage scale. Clearly our lowest by a wide margin. It turns out. Um, so that's that's that one there. So uh, yeah, that's it. So joining our wheel o cage. So make sure. You go to uh, comingofcage.com to find out what movie we are going to watch next when I spin the wheel o cage. But joining the wheel now that this movie is no longer on it, joining the wheel is Mandy. Hey, that's 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 an exciting one. Yeah, so Mandy is joining the wheel o cage. So comingofcage.com to watch the wheel o cage spin and find out what movie we will be talking about next on the show ryan anything else this time don't watch this movie go don't watch, watch john wick. go watch john wick instead watch john wick instead i agree if for some reason you hate yourself and you want to watch this movie it is on Tubi for free so there you go with ads with ads yeah with ads but it was a better experience than freebie a little bit yeah you know All oh, right, also guys. the sound mixing was really bad in this movie which should give it even more points off but I mean, that's, I think the rest of the movie was so bad that I didn't even like at that point. I didn't. Yeah, that's true. That's that's starting to get nitpicky based on everything else. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. That's rage. This is the coming of cage podcast. I'm Derek. That was Ryan. Thanks for tuning in. Coming of cage.com. We'll be back in two weeks. Bye. <laughs>